Hi, I'm Ken Jacobson, and welcome to Top Docs. Today, I'm talking to Moore Lushi, one of the directors of Camp Confidential, America's Secret Nazis. The film was directed by Moore Lushi and Daniel Sivan. It was screened at numerous festivals, including AFI Fest, and was nominated for a Critics' Choice Documentary Award. The film is a Netflix documentary and is available for streaming on the platform. Moore Lushi is director of numerous acclaimed documentaries, including Kings of Capitol Hill, The Oslo Diaries, and Censored Voices. And now, my conversation with Moore Lushi, one of the directors of Camp Confidential, America's Secret Nazis. Moore Lushi, welcome to Top Docs. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled. <laughs> me too. Wonderful film, really interesting, fascinating topic, and thank you for being with me today. Could you just give us a like a two-line logline of the film, please? Of course. So the film is about a very secret camp, really next to DC, during World War II, uh, where there actually was a camp of Nazis that the U.S. captured on the front and brought them into the U.S., and Jewish refugees from Germany that fled Europe a year or two before uh, are becoming their uh, interrogators. I don't want to ruin the film for everyone because we would love everyone to watch. But, you know, as it turns out, the Jewish refugees are actually recruiting the Nazis, the scientists to work for the U.S. eventually. Great. Thank you. Also, we like to ask our guests, what's up next for you? Mm, yeah, we have uh, big things, but it's still uh, classified. <laughs> we can't <laughs> talk about it, but it's definitely another big adventure. So Camp Confidential, America's Secret Nazis is a fascinating and, and troubling story. I, I knew the basic outlines of some of this story that the U.S. brought German rocket and other scientists led by Werner von Braun to the States at the end of the war to help develop our own rocket and missile technology. But there were many things I did not know. I didn't know anything about the existence of this camp PO box 1142. I didn't know anything about the cruelly ironic aspect of the fact that US Army soldiers who were Jewish refugees interrogated them. So there's a lot here that is just unknown. How did you and Daniel first discover this story? We were living in LA back at the day when we started working on the film. We just finished The Devil Next Door. There was a series for Netflix about the Demonuke trial, and it also was related to the Holocaust, and it was quite, of course, a tough journey. Then uh, Jono and Benji, the producers that we met, came to us with a story. First reaction was, okay, we're not going to do another Holocaust-related film. We're both are very much related to it. My grandmother was, she was a Holocaust survivor. And we're both very, very much involved with the subject. But then when they told us about this crazy story, I couldn't believe it. I just, I told Daniel, okay, I have to hear those NPS interviews. I mean, I want to hear in my own ears, the fact that this story actually happened. And we started listening to the interviews and we were, you know, wow. I mean, for me, 
I think also in the film that the scene that I said, okay, we have to do it. There's no question about it was the department store scene where the Jewish refugees are taking Werner von Braun to buy lingerie for his wife in the Landsberg Brothers store in the heart of DC. We immediately flew to DC to interview Arno because he was back at the day, he was already 94 and we really understood that we wanna interview him right away. And when we were there, and we asked him, you know, we know that you are the only survivor from the story. And most of them, after they gave NPS the interviews, they passed away, most of them. And we only found Arno. And then he said, actually, one of my very best friends, Peter, is also with us. And he was with me in the same camp. And he has the same story. So we flew right away also to Peter. And that's how we met the both of them. We were very, very fortunate to be able to film them two years ago when we started working on this film. So you referenced the NPS, that's the National Park Service. To me, at least, it seems like kind of an odd thing for the National Park Service to do, which is to take on a project like this of interviewing these men. Why did they do this? And what were they intending to do with the information that they learned at the National Park Service? So again, that you have to ask them from what I understand. They were working there. It was their workplace. And then one of the neighbors told them that once back at World War II, it was a camp that was called P.O. Box 1142. And actually Jewish refugees interrogated here Nazis. And they just took it as a life project and started really researching it and reaching out to people and really did this amazing, amazing work of finding that story and also declassifying it after it was classified for so many years and bring it to light. And for me as a documentary filmmaker, this is absolutely amazing. I mean, we are obviously Israeli filmmakers, to find out that the National Park Service not only conducted those interviews, but also put it like that in the internet, all of those 300 hours, it was astonishing, amazing to us here in Israel. This is part of the history. And as much parts of the history that we can reveal, that we can revisit, that we can discover, I think that benefits us as a human society, you know, because when we learn about the past, I do believe that we learn about ourselves as a society also in our present and future. So the fact that they were just able to share that, this is a really amazing, amazing and so important work that they did. A big challenge that you and Daniel had is these were audio interviews and you had to figure out a way to make this visual. So that leads to the issue of animation, which you do really brilliantly in the film, its own, I would say, unique style and tone. Tell us about how you went about coming up with your visual style and filling in the pieces of this story with the animation. Yeah, I'm an archive buffer and lover and archive is in my blood. We already did in, in our previous careers, censored voices that was 
premiered in Sundance that also had only audio recordings. We had that challenge before in most of our films. And when we got to this film, we were thinking, okay, what shall we do? And obviously there was no archives. There was only 15 stills photos of the camp because everything was bulldozed, burnt. The U.S. absolutely destroyed everything about this camp. We understood that we have no footage. And then Daniel came up with this idea of animation. And I told him, whoa, what do you mean animation? As a kid, I even didn't like cartoons. What are you talking about? But I was open to it because I think that docs in the past years have done amazing things with animation. And of course, it's, you know, Vals with Bashir, it's one of my favorite films. I already had that idea of, okay, it can work, but it's really important how we're going to do it, in what way. Like, it was very important for me that it won't be childish, that it will feel like real, that it will feel, yeah, not from a cartoon, that we can feel the characters, that we will feel their face expressions. So it was a very, very long journey with animation company, which did an amazing job, LBS in Canada. We had calls twice a week and it took time to find exactly what the language of the film will be. And it was a fascinating uh, journey. It was a lot, a lot of back and forth between us. I'm so happy that we made that decision because I think that this story really benefits from it. It's really important for us in all of our films that the viewer will be in the story, that you as a viewer will feel with the characters, like emotion narrative that the characters are going through. And that was the most important thing for us. I'm happy. I think we succeeded. <laughs> You certainly did. You did interview two surviving members of the group of Jewish soldiers, Arno and Peter. It's interesting how different these two guys are. Arno swears a lot and has a certain swagger about him. Peter seems very quiet, low-key, modest. When you went to interview these guys, what was it like getting to know them and making them feel comfortable opening up to you about what they experienced? Actually, Jono and Benji, our producers, when they approached us, they already was researching the subject for three years. It actually started because they wanted to write a fiction series about it. And when we heard the story, we told them, okay, fiction is amazing, but let us do a doc. Um, and they said, yeah, it sounds good. And we collaborated. So they had the initial connection with Arno. And then we went to see Peter and they were eager to tell their story. Their story was censored for so many decades. I think that the moment that we came and asked them to tell the story, they were really thrilled to tell it. I mean, this burden that they had on their shoulders for so many years, because most of those people also at the NPS interviews, they didn't talk about it with their wives, with their kids, with their families. It, it, it was a dark secret. And even today, both Arno and Peter watched the film and loved it. But in all of our conversations with Peter, he keeps saying, and later on, Peter became a very important uh, lawyer for human rights. And he was involved in laws against torture, etc. So 
he kept saying to us, if it was today, I would never agree to do that. And he has this process of journey of feelings in him that still feels uncomfortable. And I think that part of this therapy that we're never open, this story was never talked about before. I think they really appreciate it. This story is filled with so many moral dilemmas with the U.S. What are the goals? I mean, the U.S. already back in 1943, they understood that their fight is against the Soviet Union. They understood that they want to catch those Nazi scientists in order to get first to the moon. They probably had thoughts about the nuclear program, etc. And you ask yourself moral questions here. What are the interests? What are the red lines that a country needs to take? Werner von Braun and the scientists, the U.S. whitewashed their crimes. The U.S. ignored. They knew about Werner von Braun past. They knew about it when they caught him and they didn't care. They had others' agendas. And us as human beings, as a human society, really have to stop and to think what are exactly our red lines. So I think that both Peter and, and Arno are very relieved that this story came out finally. I want to talk to you a bit more in a minute about some of the sticky moral questions that the, the film raises. But I wanted to ask you, the original stated mission seems to be for the refugees, now U.S. Army soldiers, to gather intelligence from the Nazi scientists to help in the war effort. And we see that some intelligence was gathered. But after that, the mission becomes one of keeping these scientists happy and recruiting them in the Cold War against the Soviet Union. What can you tell us about the transition in the mission and why that is so crucial to this story? First of all, let's start with the fact that when they were drafted to the military, the Jewish refugees, they thought that they're going to fight in the fronts against the Nazis. They thought, okay, our families are being murdered. We're going to fight on the front and we're going to be doing something active to save our family. And, and of course, after the trainings, suddenly they find themselves on a bus in D.C., fighting the Nazis in a bit different way than they thought. At the beginning, they said to themselves, of course, we want to help the U.S. win the war. It doesn't matter how. If this intel will help the U.S. to win the war, we're willing to do everything it takes. Really, it was very much important to them. And then, of course, when the mission changed and they understood that the mission is not to get intel, but to actually flip sides to those Nazis, Werner von Braun and his scientists, they started feeling very uncomfortable. They were sickened by it. They disliked it. They couldn't believe that this is the situation that they're at. But you have to understand that they were young refugees. When they fled Europe, they were, most of them were 16, 17, most of them fled by themselves without even their parents. They were very young refugees. When they came to America, they were enemy aliens. They were considered Germans because they weren't. So it was important for them to be patriotic to the U.S. So they were in a very, very tough position. And they didn't like it. 
And I think that it's not surprising that the U.S. has kept it under the radar for so many years because it is a very problematic situation and unreal. I still, when I talk about it, I don't believe that this story happened, but there are evidence and it did. There is a surreal aspect to it, but it doesn't take away from really the horror of it. And I think one part of that is no one on the U.S. military side seems to have asked or cared about the trauma or re-trauma that might be caused to these refugees by having them interview essentially their former tormentors. Why couldn't the U.S. Army find any non-refugee Jews who spoke German to do these jobs? Exactly. So actually at the camp, almost all of the interrogators were Jewish Germans. And it's because, of course, that there was quite a big community of German Jewish refugees that fled from Europe to the U.S. I think that the U.S. didn't really give it a lot of thought. They said, oh, here's Germans that came to the U.S. only a year ago. They can connect. They know fluent German. And I don't think that they thought about it too much. I don't think that they understood the complexity of the situation. They saw interest. They said that to themselves, they speak German, fine. This is the job that needs to be done. I don't think that they really gave it a thought. It was that simple. The film does pose a number of really sticky moral questions. Probably primary among them is the issue of whether the ends justify the means. The idea being, if we can get these German scientists to help us go to the moon and help us defend ourselves against the Soviet Union, then it justifies whatever favorable treatment we give them. Interestingly, it's the more mild-mannered Peter who doesn't accept that equation. In the film, he says, it goes back to the question of whether you can do bad things to achieve good ends. And I would say that if you do that, the end that you achieve is not worthwhile. What's your take on that? Every time I hear it in the film when Peter says it, it still hurts, you know, because this is a punch in the stomach for me. And I think that this is the message. And that's why I think that this story is also is universal. You know, it's not only about this specific story about Jewish refugees in PO Box 1142. It's much more universal because this question stays with you, with me. I mean, that emotion of the film, this is what we're talking about. And I think that it's still very relevant for today as well. Countries like Israel, like the US, that are cooperating with regimes that, you know, that we know that they're torturing and human rights, etc. And we're still cooperating with them for interest, for oil, for all kinds of interests, I think that this story reflects so much also on our world today. And that's why for me, it's the most important sentence. And I'm so happy that you quoted it because yeah, this is for me, the, the heart, the heart of the film. In your opinion, what should the U.S. have done about these German scientists, including Werner von Braun? Because we do know, for instance, the Soviets we're also scooping up these scientists for their own purposes. I think I'm not exactly in a position to say what the U.S. should have done. We're raising questions with docs and 
I mean, I would like that each viewer will think whatever he wants and make his own conclusions. But I do think it's very much problematic that they whitewashed his crimes. I mean, he was the chief scientist of Hitler. He knew about Auschwitz. He used Jewish prisoners in Auschwitz for the V1, V2 rockets. Uh, he wasn't ashamed of it. On the contrary, and the fact that the U.S. has embraced him, made him a hero. The Kennedys embraced him, president after president embraced him, and made him a hero. I think that this is a very problematic message. Yeah, the shot toward the end of the film of Von Braun, I suppose after the success or during the success of the Apollo missions, being lifted up on the shoulders and paraded around like a war hero in the United States, it's pretty disgusting. Whether you agree or disagree, whether the U.S. should have brought over these scientists and done it in the way they did, it doesn't seem right by any measure to treat them as heroes. No, indefinitely not. We keep thinking, what if now is the time to say, okay, yes, he did crimes against humanity and it's time to recognize it. It's time to talk about it. It's time to reveal it because it's, it's worth thinking about it, not even for now, but for the future. Like, are those interests are more significant than being moral in our society as humans? I, I want to believe that it's not. There's another interesting moral dilemma in the film, and this one is faced by the refugee soldiers about whether they should have or could have objected to the orders given to them after the mission transitions. Basically, they conclude that you just don't do that in the U.S. Army. Ironically, there are shades of the argument used by Nazis that we were just following orders. So how do you interpret the moral dilemma when it comes to you're in the army, you're given orders, what do you do? I think it is a dilemma. As an Israeli, we ask these questions all the time. It's a question that keeps on popping up and and it is a, a very tough moral dilemma. And of course, I wouldn't compare things that the Jewish refugees did, which was buying lingerie and treating them very, very nice to following orders of murdering people in the Holocaust, right? It's not the same. I, I wouldn't compare it like this. But yes, I mean, the moral question that is raised is very important. And we talked about it before that these Jewish refugees were in a very tough position, fleeing Europe two years before. Most of them did not have a U.S. citizenship. They were afraid of their lives. And I think also for them, it was a process, you know, to understand what exactly is happening? I mean, nobody at first told them about this big plan. They thought that they're helping the U.S. win the war. It was a hard process. And I think that the people with the power are much more to blame and not Arno and Peter that truly was in a very, very, very problematic position. As an Israeli, we're asking that question every day. So I don't want also to, to ignore it, of course, because it is a very relevant question until today. And the fact that Peter became a human rights lawyer also tells you a lot. Definitely. 
One of the things you do so well in the film is balance tone. There is the story of the refugees taking the scientists to buy lingerie at the Jewish department store in Washington, <laughs> D.C. It's absurd. It's funny. But you're also obviously dealing with very weighty and serious issues. How did you and Daniel and the team manage to kind of balance these tones? I think that it's very important for us to keep these moments, right? Because we're humans. So of course that not everything is linear. We always like to play with the humor, with, with those moments in our films. And yeah, it was very much intention. And also the story is really so surrealistic. It has this big irony that you just cannot ignore it. I mean, this camp has a swimming pool. This camp has and a ping pong table and tennis and all of that and films. You really cannot ignore the irony. And we had to play with it. But I think that this irony and these elements really helps at the end of the day to give you this punch in the stomach that we wanted to. The film certainly gives you a punch in the stomach, and it also does something really important, which I think it does make heroes of Arno and Peter and these brave men who carried out these orders, but did so with humility and grace and patriotism to their new country. We owe them a lot. And thank you so much for uh, persisting with this story. I'm sure it wasn't easy to translate these audio interviews into the really the lush, full-blown cinematic experience that is Camp Confidential. I urge everyone to watch it on Netflix if you haven't already and tell your family and friends about it. Congratulations to you and Daniel, and thank you so much for thank being with us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Take care. Thank you. Yeah, bye. Take care. Bye-bye.